0: Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply.
1: When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back.
0: Get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers who deposit $5 or more can get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 back in a bonus bet. You guys know that my other sport is the NBA, and there is no better sport to gamble on. Football's fun, college basketball's fun, but the NBA's great. You've got some high-scoring games, some great prop bets to make, You can do it all on DraftKings Sportsbook. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code MANIX. New customers can get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 if your first bet loses. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code MANIX. The crown is yours.
1: Bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash promos for deposit, wagering, and eligibility restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
0: This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight
3: champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing.
0: When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's
3: Chris Mannix.
0: And we are back, Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network. As always, I want to welcome everyone listening on the podcast feed. If you are not a subscriber, get over to the Boxing with Chris Mannix feed, hit that subscribe button, make sure you get this pod in your feed every single week. So Wild week in boxing. Not in the ring, although Edgar Berlang had a good win this past weekend uh, in uh, Florida. It was down there for that. But outside the ring, where Canelo Alvarez is now a network free agent once again. His three-fight deal with PBC evaporating, becoming a one-fight deal that ended because PBC and Canelo could not agree on opponent's for May and September of this year. We're going to talk about all that. Keith Idek, longtime boxing writer, friend of the podcast, he's going to join me to dive into that. Everything that has to do with Canelo. We're also going to talk about the Ryan Garcia Devin Haney press tour, which has taken place this week in New York and Los Angeles. I was on the New York leg of the press tour, spoke to both these guys one-on-one, conducted a face-off between these two, which was terrific. You should check that out on uh, YouTube, uh, probably in the next couple of weeks. And we're going to talk about how competitive this fight really is because when you look at Devin Haney, you see a guy that is right now peaking as a fighter. When you look at Ryan Garcia, you see a big-time talent, a big-time puncher, but someone that is still trying to figure his craft out, someone that is now on his second fight with trainer Derek James, who had some inconsistencies in his last fight against Oscar Duarte. We're going to talk about how competitive this fight's going to be and what could be waiting for the winner in 2024. So great conversation with Keith Eidek. A little bit later on, Raymond Ford, the 126-pound contender. He is going for his first world title He's fighting on Saturday Night Live on ESPN when he takes on Autoback Kolmatov for the 126-pound belt, vacant 126-pound belt. Let's talk to Ray about the evolution of his career, which seemed like it was taking a turn for the worse back in 2022, when he won a very controversial decision over Edward Vasquez. Uh, the fighter I saw in 2022 did not look world championship caliber. The fighter I saw over the next three fights absolutely looked world championship caliber. I'll talk to Ray about the changes he made in the aftermath of that controversial win and why he believes... It will put him in position to fight a very dangerous opponent in Kalmatov on Saturday. So, great conversation with Rick Gray Ford. Great episode this week. So, when we come back, my conversation with Keith Idak.
3: This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that, he is! And you will not believe where
1: he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win! Unbelievable! When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. eBay
0: Motors is here for the ride. Now I'm supposed to talk here about
3: Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: All right, Keith Eideck, friend of the podcast. I am no longer introing you, though, as senior writer, BoxingScene.com. You have moved on. Is there uh, anything you want to tell us about what's next in the world of Keith Eideck?:
4: Well, I am a senior writer, unfortunately for me. Uh, <laughs> No matter who I'm writing for, unfortunately, but um, no, Chris, yeah, it was a great run we had at at boxing scene. I left the newspaper industry in 2016 uh, willingly and and went to this job and it worked out better than I ever could have imagined. I think, you know, a lot of us who uh, were responsible for what we did at boxing scene for the last seven years or so and what Rick did from the time he started the site in 2003, uh, have a lot to be proud of. Uh, you know, we busted our butts, uh, collectively for a very long time. And, um, you know, Paramount decided to sell the website after Showtime got out of boxing, which was an understandable move from their standpoint. And, uh, you know, so, uh, moving forward with, uh, several freelance opportunities for now and, uh, some things I can't really discuss at the moment, but, uh, but definitely staying and covering boxing for sure. And, uh, looking forward to it.
0: Well, I'm glad you're still in boxing, Keith, still covering boxing, because you are still one of the most plugged-in insiders in this sport, which makes you the perfect guy to talk to today, because it has been a wild last few days in boxing. And I'm not even talking about the press tour for Ryan Garcia and Devin Haney. We're going to get to that in a couple of minutes. But the big news this week is that for the second time in as many years, Canelo Alvarez is a network-free agent. Canelo and PBC mutually agreeing to part ways this week after the two sides could not get together on an opponent for Canelo in May. Reports indicating that PBC preferred a big name like David Benavidez or Terrence Crawford. Canelo Alvarez reportedly was pushing for a fight against Jamal Charlo, and with that much money potentially at stake, PBC was not willing to do it. Canelo was not willing to budge. Those two sides, for now, are going to go their separate ways. So what we think is going to happen is that Canelo is going to fight on DAZN for his next fight. The two leading candidates at the moment are Edgar Berlanga, who is coming off a win over Padre McGrory this past weekend, a knockout win over McGrory, and Jaime Munguia, uh, one of the bigger stars in Mexican boxing, 42-0, and coming off a knockout win over John Ryder back in January. So we're going to talk about those potential options, Keith. But the question is, how did we get here? How did this much-celebrated three-fight deal with PBC become a one-fight deal, with that one fight being a lackluster one against Jermell Charlo? How did we get here?
4: Well, it's my understanding, Chris, that they wanted a commitment from him that he was going to fight David Benavidez after fighting Jamal Charlo. Of course, Canelo going into that fight would have been a heavy favorite to beat Jamal Charlo based on his inactivity and where Canelo is in his career, whereas Charlo is in his career. Not necessarily a fight that there was much of a public appetite for, if any appetite at all. Um, So if they were going to guarantee him X amount of dollars for that type of fight, which would not have been well-received from you know, in the court of public opinion, you know, people are not going to. The diehard Canelo fans will buy the fight, no matter who he fights. Of course, in Mexico, it's shown on free TV and all that. But uh, I don't think there would have been people rushing to click the buy button if he fought Jamal Charlo on May fourth. So they were in a tough position there, and I understand from their standpoint wanting to get a commitment from him to if he wins that fight for him to. Take the fight that they want. That everyone wants. We all want David, him to fight David Benavides. That everyone wants Canelo to fight David Benavides, except apparently Canelo. So, if you're not going to get that kind of commitment from him, I could understand them not guaranteeing. You know, the number thirty-five million has been floated around quite often. That's, it's more. <laughs> so, you know, if it's a lot of money. And if you're going to lose money on an event, you want some sort of assurance from him that you're going to recoup that money and then some in the next event. So I get it, uh, them moving in a different direction. And I understand DAZN's willingness to work with Canelo again. He's still the biggest star in American boxing. You know, Gervonta Davis is a big star in his own right. But Canelo is still the most established star in American boxing. Uh, He'll do pay-per-view business no matter who he fights. But I think at a certain point when he's taking – it, it's just very difficult, Chris, as you well know, and I know you've discussed this on the podcast with other other guys and everything. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to come off the Jermell Charlo fight with the bad taste that was left in everyone's mouths based on how that fight went and then try to sell him fighting his brother. Now, Jamal might have stood there and fought and maybe taken a beating – that doesn't make anyone feel any better when you're paying eighty five dollars to watch a fight that you knew was not going to be the type of fight you wanted to see. So I think that's sort of how we got here and and Chris, I, I don't understand if you're Canelo, what what do you what are the fights you want to see Canelo in the
0: most? Well it begins with David Benavidez. Of course. that's the obvious one. Right. Um so, after that after that it's kinda of, well, I'll give you I'll let you go there in a second, but after that it's in to me a coin flip between Terrence Crawford and Jaime Munguia, those are the two that I would be most interested in in 2024. Okay,
4: so wholeheartedly agree with you, Benavidez is the fight everyone wants to see. I don't know, he hasn't really said one way or the other, he just doesn't want to fight him just because he said so. I'm not saying he's afraid of him or anything like that or that he couldn't win the fight. He does; he clearly does not want to fight David, David Benavidez. I don't know how you can make the argument that he does or the fight would have happened already. So he doesn't want to fight him. He's the number one guy. And then however anyone ranks it from there, I don't love the Crawford fight from a competitive standpoint. There are people who do. uh, But I do agree with everyone that it's a very marketable fight. Well, he doesn't want to take that fight because he feels like he wouldn't receive any credit for beating a guy who's three weight classes below him. That's somewhat understandable. Okay, but now you're taking the two most marketable fights off the table. Then you say, okay, well, What about fighting Jaime Munguia? And I know he's changed his stance on this a little bit, and I'm not saying Jaime Munguia is necessarily third, but, well, I don't want to fight another Mexican. Okay, well, what about fighting Bivol? Now, of course, Bivol is committed to fighting better What about fighting the rematch with Bivol? Oh, I don't want to do it at 168 pounds because I won't get credit because he'll be weight drained, so it has to be at 175. At a certain point, who do you want to fight? Edgar Berlanga? Yeah.
0: I mean that that's certainly direction it seems to be trending at this point. The, the the Benavidez stuff is just weird because there seems to be two different stories surrounding it, right? You've got Benavidez's team led by Samson Lukowitz out there saying that they have made an offer that would guarantee Canelo 55 billion dollars that could be worth 60 million dollars. This this by the way is not a a this is an offer that they've come to the table with publicly before, right? Where they had said last year that there would be some guarantees north of $40 million and that Canelo could make more than $50 million to fight Benavidez last year. They've upped that offer, at least the public um, uh, talk of that offer this year. Then you have, you know, Eddie Reynoso, the trainer and manager of Canelo Alvarez, that came out and said that no one has offered them a David Benavidez fight. So... This, this isn't a case, Keith, of it being misinterpreted or some ambiguity. Someone's just straight up lying here. Someone is, is is being dishonest about this offer. Now, we both know that Canelo wants his money guaranteed, right? He wants his money, not up front, but, you know, there. He wants to know that he's going to make X dollars the day after that fight. It's going to be in his account. Could that be part of it? Could there, could there be talk of him fighting Benavidez and making 55 million assuming the pay-per-view does really well or is this just a question of somebody who's straight up lying and the the audience including us is being misled you know chris
4: i'd be reluctant to say anyone's specifically is lying because i don't know every conversation that everyone's had with everyone all i know is that pbc people want him to fight david benavides um he hasn't really shown
0: a, a, Keith, let me ask you this. Was this a conversation they had last year? I mean, look, Jamal Charlo is on the list of opponents that Canelo could fight because at the time last year, a Jamal Charlo fight made sense. I mean, Jamal Charlo was the original opponent for Canelo. In September, he fell out. His brother took his place. And Jamal, his issues have been well chronicled. But David Benavidez was on the rise last year. He beat Caleb Plant this past March. Like, was David Benavidez disgust? You know, when Canelo signed this three-fight deal?
4: Well, the interesting thing, Chris, is what if he would have fought Jamal Charlo in September? Say Charlo was in the right headspace and in, in position to train. It would have been a hard sell coming off that long of a layoff, of course, taking that tough of a fight. At the same time, let's just say he fought Jamal Charlo in September. Well, then where are we? I mean, Jamal Charlo is out of the equation, obviously, because you, you couldn't beat Jamal Charlo and then say, well, I'd like to fight his brother, who's two-way class. Yeah, below. Would, smaller. Yeah. So... Where would we be then? I, it had to have been discussed with him about fighting Benavides. I mean, that that's the fight that everyone wants. And at that point, of course, Chris Crawford wasn't in the mix as a potential opponent because he hadn't fought Spence yet. So who were they talking about him fighting? If if, if when this was all proposed and they came up with what was supposedly a three-fight agreement, um, who would they have talked about him fighting beyond Jamal Charlo at that point? And the other thing to keep in mind, Chris, is... On the PBC side of it, they're more than open to working with Canelo again. They're not closing the door on him fighting on on the PBC platform again, and I don't think he's against it either. He's made good money in these fights, and the the fight that he's been treated very well. Of course, the the zone people obviously have treated him very well too, and so has Matchroom and all. But uh, he seems to have been satisfied with uh, with how he was treated, how he was paid, how the events were handled, and everything. And they were both. The plant fight was more successful from a pay-per-view standpoint, but um, so they're open to working with him again, but like he's gonna be thirty-four years old in July. Hmm. So let's just say for argument's sake, Chris, the rest of this year winds up being him fighting him beating Edgar Balanga on, on May 4th, and then and then presumably fighting Jaime Munguia on September, whatever, and beating him. Well, then who was he fighting? And, and then he's thirty-four going on thirty-five.
0: Yeah, um, I don't think it's going to be Benavidez, that's for sure. I think that ship has, has probably sailed. Uh, look, when I was asking people about the three-fight deal when it was announced, and you probably heard some of the same things. You know, I heard Jamal, most likely opponent for September, right when the deal was announced. I heard that David Benavidez was the most likely opponent for the third fight of the deal, the back end, September of 2024, and that they were still trying to figure out who would land in the middle. There was some ambiguity there about who would land in the middle. Now, obviously that, you know, plan was blown up when Jamal had to back out. It was Jamal and the fight was just dreadful, making Jamal just a completely unsellable opponent for him in May of this year. But they seem to think, you know, within the PBC universe that Canelo was going to fight Benavidez. And I'm not exactly sure what's changed since then. I'm not sure if... if Look, I'm not never going to say Canelo is afraid of anybody because I don't believe he's afraid of anyone. But, you know, Canelo is also at the point in his career where he doesn't really have anything left to prove. Like, I'm not of the opinion, Keith, that his legacy is going to be forever tarnished if he doesn't fight David Benavides. I think he's accomplished enough up until this point. And let's be real here. What Canelo is doing right now, or at least what we think he's doing, where he's kind of you know, handpicking who he's going to fight in the final chapter of his career. It is a tried and true method by a lot of fighters, including Floyd Mayweather, who did this in the twilight of of his career. So I don't think his legacy is going to be tarnished, but I don't really understand the narrative that's coming from some people on the Canelo side, where it's like, we'd take the fight, nobody's offered us the fight. Like, it's just, it's a little bit crazy to be reading that he's not been offered... A fight with David Benavides, and then check out your phone and see it coming from someone with the last name Lukowitz, People in that family saying that he's he is getting offered this much money. He doesn't want to fight our guy. It there just there's such a disconnect between the two different stories that it's all really hard to figure out. It is, Chris. And like you said,
4: I had heard a lot of the same things that the Benavidez fight was going to be the third fight of this deal with PBC. They clearly didn't have it in writing or we wouldn't be in this position. Uh, so I'm sure it was discussed, uh, as, as part of that three fight agreement. Um, but like we know, and and whether it's in the media business or the boxing business, if you don't have it in writing, well, (laughs) good luck. So, Mm uh, I'm not saying Canelo's afraid of anyone either. And and if he doesn't fight David Benavidez, he's still going to, you know, be a first ballot hall of famer. He's accomplished entirely too much and he's taken a lot of challenges. You know, there was a time for, for quite some time, Chris, when people said he's afraid to fight Golovkin. How long did that go on? And then, you know, he fights him and you know, everyone thinks Golovkin won the first fight. He still fought him three times. You know, mm-hmm. the third fight was way past its expiration date, of course, but he fought him three times and he's taken on a lot of challenges and uh you know put himself at a disadvantage against Floyd Mayweather with the catchweight and all that when he was very young. I mean he's always accepted the challenges and everything, but from a business standpoint, if you're DAZN and Matchroom or if you're PBC and Amazon, doesn't his asking price have to come down at some point if you're not going to do the kind of business that makes any sense to pay him, let's just say 35 million, 40 million, 45 million you you can't fight Edgar Berlanga and expect to be paid the same amount of money that you would be paid, or, or comparable money that you would be paid to fight Terence Crawford or David Benavidez. It's just not; it doesn't make sense for the people who are shelling out the guarantees. So,
0: yeah, the, the, what, how do you look at that? So let's start with Berlanga. Berlanga Canelo is a tough sell right now, no question. Berlanga did what he needed to do against McCrory. He knew he needed a big highlight real knockout, and he got it. It wasn't exactly what everyone was looking for. There was some sluggishness to the beginning of that fight against McCrory, but sixth round, lands a big right hand, referee waves it off. That was what Edgar Berlanga was looking for and what he needed. I still don't think that the public at large And this isn't exactly a hot take. But the public at large does not view Edgar Berlanga as competitive against Canelo Alvarez. Yes, he's unbeaten. He is highly rated. Technically, he is the WBA mandatory for Canelo Alvarez's 168-pound title. But he has not faced anyone even close to the level of Canelo Alvarez. McGrory was rated in the top three by the WBA, but nobody that watches boxing would have made Patrick McGrory a top three hundred and sixty-eight pounder. So the hard part about making Canela Munguia or Canela Berlanga, I should say, in May is getting people to believe that this can be competitive. It's getting people to believe that the power of Berlanga is real and that he's ready for this type of opportunity. He'll sell it. No question he will sell it and the rivalry between Mexicans and Puerto Ricans there's a natural you know fire to that natural sizzle to that but canelo is an elite pound for pound guy edgar berlanga is not and really hasn't shown at this point that he has the talent to to ultimately get there so that is definitely a tough sell i don't think munguia is A tough sell at all. I think Munguia is a pretty easy sell. Is he the Benavidez fight? No, but if you are making a list of potential opponents for Canelo Alvarez, I would probably put Jaime Munguia second on that list. He is a former world champion at 54. He has been really good at three weight classes, and he's coming off a dominant knockout victory over an opponent in John Ryder who went the distance with Canelo. So he's got some momentum going into that fight. Munguia has also been really active over the last few years. Say what you want about his opponents, and criticism of many of them is is certainly warranted. But Munguia has been out there. He has been visible. People have seen him score big victories. He's coming off a fight-of-the-year performance against Sergei Derevchenko this past year. There's some momentum behind Jaime Munguia right now. And I think that fight could be a pretty fun fight between those two guys in the ring. I think that fight is a firefight for as long as it uh, potentially lasts. So Berlanga, tough sell. Munguia, fairly easy sell, at least for May. So what do you make of this this Canelo plan uh, for 2024? The
4: Munguia fight is certainly marketable, Chris. I mean, it's a palatable option for the paying public because Munguia – you know the storylines. You were there. It, yeah, yeah, He knocked out John Ryder, which Canelo couldn't do. He's undefeated. Yeah, He clearly has a lot of flaws and would be a big underdog against Canelo – but like you said, he's a, a people's champion, so to speak, in Mexico, and and he's from Tijuana, and he you know he comes mm-hmm. in the mud and all that kind of all that stuff makes sense, and it's a marketable fight, especially especially if it's on Cinco de Mayo weekend or Mexican Independence Day weekend, a sellable fight for sure. So if he winds up fighting him on May fourth and then weighs his options, I don't know, maybe he. I'm sure Dazone is going to want more of a commitment than one fight from him. Dazone match, match room wherever he's working with. They'll want more than a one fight commitment from him, but he could kind of just go back and forth if he wants and see how much money he can get out of whomever and fight, you know, whatever, whichever fights make sense for him. So, if it's Mungia in May, I wouldn't say that the public at large would love it, but it's somewhat acceptable, right? I mean, it's an undefeated guy, he's a Mexican, it's on Cinco de Mayo weekend, he knocked out John, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That that somewhat makes sense. But then, the Berlanga fight is going to be a tough sell, and I don't have anything against Edgar Berlanga. Uh, you know, the, he's a very tough kid, and he, and he looked—you know—he fought well after a slow start on Saturday and came back and everything. What 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 would Canelo be favored over Edgar Berlanga going into their fight?
0: It would be pretty big. It yeah. would be double digits. Yeah,
4: I mean, and and rightfully so. It's a yeah. it's a hard fight to sell. He is undefeated, and he's a big, strong kid, and everything. But. I don't think many people would tell you with a straight face that he has a real chance to beat Canelo.
0: No, the... And look, I, I don't... You know, Canelo would be a big favorite against Jaime Munguia as well, but you can kind of see how a Munguia fight would be more competitive because Munguia does throw a lot of punches. And in the past, that's been something that's been effective against Canelo. If you're going to engage, throw a lot of punches, Canelo is no longer the combination puncher he once was. He kind of loads up more, looks for that one big counter shot. That... Munguia... I think would be a more competitive fight as long as it lasts. I think eventually Canelo would get to him. But it would be a fun fight and a competitive fight for, I think, a little while. I just don't... I think Edgar Berlanga can get there, maybe, um, to the point where he's, he's worthy of that opportunity. It's just right now, you know, even though he's undefeated, even though he's coming off a knockout win, it's just going to be hard to sell that Berlanga can hang in there with Canelo.
4: And Chris, as you well know, you've discussed it many times, you you know how this all went. Berlanga and Munguia were supposed to fight each other to, quote unquote, yeah. earn the right to fight Canelo. Now, if Berlanga would have fought Munguia and beat Munguia, you'd say, okay, well, he, you know, why not Berlanga, right? And in fairness to both of them, they are going to come to fight. So whether he fights Munguia mm-hmm. or Berlanga on May 4th, while I don't think Berlanga has much of a chance to win, he is going to come to fight at least, whereas... I don't know what Jermel Charlo was doing back in September, but he didn't really come to win the fight. So, for whatever that's worth, I don't think it's worth $85 per se, but it's, you know, he will come. to, He'll try to win.
0: Yeah. And that's something Eddie Hearn has talked about um, in his conversations with Canelo. He says that Canelo has told him he wants to face guys that come to fight. I'm sure the Jermel Charlo fight was a little frustrating for him because I think a lot of people coming into that fight, thought Jermell would go at him, Thought Jermell would at least try to go out in a shield instead of just circling and boxing and trying to survive on the way to a, a wide decision loss. Uh, you're right, Berlanga and Munguia would certainly come to fight. How do you think this impacts PBC? Like they signed that Amazon deal and there was a big announcement. There was talk of 12 to 14 events per year, a lot of pay-per-views. It made some sense when you had Terrence Crawford under contract for potentially a rematch with Errol Spence. Maybe there could have been a fight with Canelo down the line. You had Canelo under contract for two fights. Benavidez, you, you had some options there when it came to pay-per-views. Now, as we look at the PBC landscape, you've got a pay-per-view coming up on March 30th. You've got Tank Davis set to fight Frank Martin. Presumably, that's a Amazon pay-per-view. Where does this leave them now that Canelo is out the door, at least for now. And it sure seems like Terrence Crawford is out the door, at least for now.
4: I'm not sure about Crawford. Chris. So I'd, I'd, I'd like to say he uh, there's at least a chance that he would fight on the PBC platform. And if he does, of course, it's going to be on pay-per-view. Uh, who would he fight? Well, who knows at this point, I guess. And he's not going to wait around for the winner of Tim Zhu and, and, and Keith Thurman um, because we're already going on. what What is it? Eight months, nine months since he fought. It's eight. Yeah seven months, eight, whatever it is.
0: I mean we'll be we'll be past the year by the time he get we'll be closing in or past the year by the time he gets back in the ring. He fought in July of twenty twenty three. We're gonna be right there by the time he you know we see Terrence Crawford fight once again.
4: And that's unfortunate Chris because I mean he he should have been it's it's not Terrence Crawford's fault that whatever happened with Spence's eye and everything. Uh, he should have been able to build on this momentum, this career defining performance and everything because he's since turned thirty six years old. You would have liked to have seen him mm-hmm. Have fought by now, or have a fight scheduled by now, at the very least. Uh, so that's a shame from Crawford's perspective. But uh, but you're, you're right, though, in that how many pay-per-view fighters do they have? Are they gonna Are they gonna start building pay-per-view, uh, stacking pay-per-view shows the way that they did this this card here? Because ideally, this would be on Amazon Prime, right? Yeah. Ideally, but at least the the co-feature. The co-feature, some people are looking at as the most interesting fight on the card. I I don't know necessarily. Keith Thurman never fights, of course. I mean, he's, he's fought one time since he fought uh, Manny Pacquiao almost five years ago, um, so or twice, I guess. But uh, it, should he be an 11-to-1 underdog against Tim Zhu? I don't know.
0: Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I think it should even be higher. Honestly, I I think I said this to you at one point after this was announced. I don't see any pathway to victory for Keith Thurman. Zero. None. I think he's going to be on his bike for most of this fight. I think Tim Zhu has dramatically improved over the last couple of years. He is a much better fighter. He is a natural 154-pounder. Keith Thurman, in addition to being inactive, has dealt with hand injuries. He hasn't had a knockout quite some time. I don't don't see how he's going to hurt Tim Zhu. I don't see how he's going to outbox Tim Zoo. I think he's going to be back foot the entire time trying to move away. And I don't see any scenario where he's able to pick up a decision fighting that way. So, yeah, (laughs) I mean, you asked. Like, he's going to be 11 to 1. Yes, I think absolutely he should be 11 to 1. A hot take for Mannix. Um, What's his – But you tell me then. What is Keith Thurman's path to victory here? Are you seeing something less than I am in Tim Zhu? Because ever since the Tony Harrison fight, I have seen growth in Tim Zhu. He is becoming a better fighter every single time. And as inactive as uh, Keith Thurman has been... Tim Zhu's been active. Tim Zhu yeah. has not been waiting around for his opportunities. He has been getting in the ring. He has been fighting. And he has been beating quality guys. Like the win over Mendoza. Look, Mendoza, you can say, got lucky one shot against Fedora. Still landed that punch. And Tim Zhu put a hellacious beating on him. Didn't pick up a knockout in that fight, but put a beatdown on Mendoza. That was more about Mendoza's chin than it was about any issues with Tim Zhu's power. Uh, I think Tim Zhu is starting to really... Become a top fighter in this weight class,
4: Chris. He had a great year last year. No two ways about it. The Tony Harrison win was very convincing. That was his first win of the year. I'm not going to give him too much credit for what he did with Carlos Acampo, exactly. But uh, correct.
0: He, Stay he busy, though. You know, he,
4: like get he, out, keep he, getting he, out. June, I'll give him credit for that. Um, and he fought three times last year, which no one does basically at his level at this point. So I, this isn't really this isn't a criticism of Tim Zoo. I just thought eleven to one, it's like. Keith Thurman, while he's been inactive and he's mostly been a welterweight, or exclusively has been a welterweight since he was a 52 pounder as a an amateur, he's not a bunk. Mm-hmm. I mean, eleven to one is like he has zero chance whatsoever to win, which you seem to think
0: that he doesn't, which I understand, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I do. And look, Keith, I you know I know people say you know they always try to like double back, and but I would say I love Keith Thurman. Like I've been down to that St. Petersburg gym, I have hung out with him, his staff. He's got a great backstory, and for a while. I thought he had a chance to really do something special in his career after the wins over Danny Garcia, the win over Sean Porter. Uh, he, he had a moment and he was doing those fights on, I think the, both of them were on CBS, right? Like he was doing, you know, he was, you know, putting himself out there in front of a big audience. And then the inactivity came about the injuries were obviously a problem, but Keith, you know, this Thurman, also lost a little bit of his fire. He didn't have the same passion anymore yeah. over the last few years they did when he was coming up. I think Tim Zoo has that passion. I think Tim Zoo is like what Keith Thurman was before the first fight uh he had with before the fights he had with Garcia and with Sean Porter. I I, I think that's what Keith Thurman is running into and he's running into a bigger version of himself back then.
4: Yeah, and he's 6 years younger and like you said he's a natural junior middleweight, the bigger guy you know, Keith Thurman is, I think it is actually one time since he fought Pacquiao. I believe his only fight is against Mario Barrios. Barrios, yeah. My head, I think I'm remembering because he fought uh, Josecito Lopez in the fight before Pacquiao. So he's only fought one time in almost five years. Um, so, yeah, no, I get it, Chris, But uh, but. Be that as it may, what I was starting to say because we kind of went off track, <laughs> <laughs> we,
0: it became a Thurman Zoo preview right if here. They're
4: go- if they're going to stack pay per views in the way that they did with this March 30th card, because the Fundora uh fight is a, is a very interesting fight too, that's going to be an all action fight. You know I, know, I don't know so much about the Lara Zarafa fight, but uh, but there are you know four fights on the pay per view, there's an, two interesting fights on the uh. The Elijah, anytime Elijah Garcia fights, I want to see it based on he's what was good him last year. Absolutely. You know, and Kyron Davis is going to come to fight. Um, and he's fighting at middleweight in a in a weight class that he belongs Unlike when he fought David Benavidez. Uh, so you have a couple of fights on Amazon prime and then you go to the four fight pay-per-view again, ideally it would be on prime, you know, it'd be on prime video, but uh, these fights are expensive and sometimes the business model doesn't work that way so it's on pay-per-view and people are free to either buy it or ignore it or whatever they want um, but the, the, the question you ask is what are they going to do with their pay-per-views uh, being that Javante Davis is the only real proven guy unless Crawford is in the mix because Crawford could headline a pay-per-view as well but let's just hope for the sake of of boxing fans that there are less pay-per-views maybe that's yeah
0: you know maybe there's one well that come that, that that brings us back keith to what amazon wants right like and what you hear from you know frankly from people that don't necessarily know is that amazon's looking to be more a distributor than they are being they are a provider right like in years past pbc has had al Heyman has had hbo backing him showtime backing him i don't think at least that's not the sense i'm getting that Amazon is backing PBC in the exact same way. So if you do not have that uh, well of license fee money to go to and you're, you're bankrolling yourself effectively, I, it's it's challenging. It's challenging to put on these non-pay-per-view fights, the interest people. I mean, it was challenging enough, quite frankly, last year with Showtime. Like, their pay-per-views were excellent last year. Great year for Showtime on pay-per-view. The championship boxing shows, they were nothing. They were nothing. You didn't get much of anything at all from that. So, I guess it depends on what kind of investment PBC is going to get from Amazon this year. Because if it's just a uh, distributor model where they're going to do rev share and they're going to be a partner in that effect, I think it's going to be incredibly difficult to put on non-pay-per-view fights, good ones. If there's some money behind it, well, that's a different story. Amazon is one of the richest companies on the planet, and they have one of the widest distributions on the planet. If they get behind something, they can blow it up. I just don't know what Amazon is looking to do with a sport like this.
4: Right, and there's some trial and error on Amazon's part here. They want to see how it goes. There's certainly less money available to the PBC through their partnership with Amazon than there was with Showtime. We we know that for sure, and uh, previously with HBO um but they'll just have to make it work i mean fighters are going to have to lower their ex- financial expectations and such and and hopefully we'll get some good fights on prime as well because you know they can't push every fight to pay-per-view because people are just not going to pay for that many pay-per-view fights but um so it's going to be interesting to see how this first year of the deal goes um and like i said chris if it if it means that there are less pay-per-views well who would come great about that? you know I, yeah. that goes for everybody that goes for dazone amazon ESPN all the less pay-per-views the the better uh the better it is for the fans obviously but you know some fights have to go to that platform because they're just too expensive and there are only so many fights that are going to go to Saudi Arabia because sooner or later that money is going to dry up because it's just not it's just not sustainable in the long term to just overpay for all these fights to bring them there to promote, you know, tourism in Saudi Arabia, and you know, it's great while it's lasting now and everything. And I'm not saying there won't be some fights in Saudi Arabia. They're not going to grossly overpay for every fight for, from now until the end of time. And this is going to end at some point. So,
0: no, and the Saudis want to be the Saudis want to be in the big fight business, right? And there's only so many of them, and, and the number of big fights they can get up for and invest in are many of them are probably going to be done. In the first half or the first three quarters right. of this year, you've got the Bivol Betterbeff fight presumably happening in June. Uh, let's hypothetically say they can make a Fury Anthony Joshua fight in August or September. After that, what is there like a rematch with Fury and Joshua? If it's good, do they want to get in the Canelo business at some point? I don't know, but I, to your point, I don't see Saudi Arabia putting on, you know, featherweight title fights. I, I don't think that they're going to be, you know, leaning in to Showtime or HBO level fights.
4: You know, Chris, because even if, in effect, you print money, which is, they seemingly do over there with the oil money and everything, um, you're going to want some return on your investment at some point. You're not just going to keep throwing money all over the place at whatever. I mean, what, what are we going to have? Canelo against Christian and in and, and Riyadh? Well, Like, at some point.
0: I'm thinking more, more canelo williams Skull and Riyadh Keith. I'm thinking that's that's the match. The IBF the IBF is going to call a mandatory. The IBF is once they're done with this Philip Hergovich stuff and the heavyweight scene they're going to call that mandatory baby. And William Skull who is the most deserving mandatory challenger I've ever seen. Ever seen. He he's going to get that opportunity. Not since Avni Yildirim have I seen a challenger more worthy. Then. There's what, what was Winston. that guy's
4: name? That Hop, Marad Hakar that Hopkins fought in Philadelphia that time. I mean, <laughs> this, this, this is on the this is on the level of that. That guy literally cracks me up. I was there that night in Philadelphia when Hopkins, you know, it's his hometown and all that kind of stuff. And he was already Hopkins was almost forty years old then. Um And I was there that night. That dude, he was from France. He literally ran around. The, he was running around the ring like it was a track meet. Like not not Jermell Charlo type running, not that, not whatever people. Yeah. Jermaine Ortiz did, you know, which was more boxing than running. I thought, but he was literally running. He was running away from Bernard Hopkins. It
0: was crazy. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I could, you know we joke, but if Saudi Arabia wanted to put on a Canelo fight, which I think they do, um, I, I could see them putting on that william skull fight i really could i you know as part of a bigger like day of reckoning two let's call it like if they did the same thing in late december of 2024 i could see canelo being on that card and making a lot of money to have a very light touch of a title defense
4: if canelo fights william skull on any anywhere on earth whether it's saudi arabia or las vegas or wherever I, i I don't know that I'll be able to come on the podcast because my head. Is
0: blown. <laughs> so let's hope we don't get to that point. Keith, you are very anti, what is he? He's Cuban, right? Cuban turned German. Is that what he, like, I think he's. Whatever,
4: whatever his ethnicity, it has nothing to do with his ethnicity. It's his uh, lack of qualifications to be in the ring with Canelo Alvarez. So
0: but that's not, Hey, that is not what the IBF says. They say he's the number one contender. Come on, respect the sanctioning bodies. I do. Respect them. (laughs) They know what they're talking about. William Skull deserves that mandatory shot. Um, All right, last thing I want to talk about. Uh, We have the Devin Haney, Ryan Garcia press conference in New York this past week. I I love this fight because I love that two guys in their mid 20s are facing off. And. both these guys probably could have gone different directions, most notably Ryan Garcia. And let's be real, Ryan did try to go in a different direction. He tried to make the Rolly Romero fight happen. That didn't happen. But I give Ryan a lot of credit for pivoting to doing a fight against Devin Haney, which is an incredibly difficult fight because for a couple of reasons. One, Devin is peaking right now. Devin to me is a top five pound for pound guy. At worst, he's a top 10 pound for pound guy. He has had a terrific multi-year run. Last year, the winner over Lomachenko, people can say he lost, whatever. It was competitive. Sometimes competitive fights are really close. They can go one way or the other. I had no issue whatsoever with Haney getting the decision in that fight. Then he goes and his first fight at 140 and wipes out Regis Progre. Complete shutout, wins every round, gets a knockdown the third round. Brilliant in that fight. So Devin Haney is at his best right now. My question going into this fight is where is Ryan Garcia? Because, yes, he did rebound from the Gervonta Davis loss, with a knockout win over Oscar Duarte. But that was not some kind of flawless performance. There were issues with Ryan in that fight when it came to uh, whatever shoulder roll defense he was utilizing at some point during that fight. He was getting hit a little bit in that fight. Um, Eventually, his power took over, got the knockout. That's all that mattered. But you can't say, no one can say, that Ryan Garcia is peaking as a fighter right now. He is still a work in progress, with Derek James. And when you're going into a fight against someone like Devin Haney, <laughs> you got to be sharp, man. You got to be on your game and on point. And my concern is that Ryan Garcia is not there. Still has got the power, can still hurt Devin Haney. And I think their amateur experience, the six fights that times they fought in the amateurs, as recently I think as when they were 16 years old, um, I think that will give Ryan some sense of what he's in for in these fights. But I just think Devin is a well-oiled machine right now, and I'm not so sure what Ryan Garcia is. So how do you see this fight early on?
4: You know, well, Devin Haney seems to think that Ryan Garcia at 25 years old is cashing out by taking this fight because, you know, he didn't really seem, it seemed like he was going to fight Roly Romero and then presumably win the WBA title and make it a unification fight. So, mm-hmm. Haney think seems to think that Ryan Garcia doesn't really want this fight. He was kind of forced into it because whatever happened happened with the Romero negotiations, and now he's left to fight someone
0: else. So, well, I would say, Keith, like he look, Ryan immediately called for this fight after Haney beat Progre. Like the Romero stuff was you know, came on a little bit later on, as as Devin likes to say, you go on a jog with Floyd and you are suddenly challenging roller Romero for his title.
4: Haney makes a good point there, right? I mean, he said to him, "He does. Maybe you'll go on another." He actually said during the press, you know, obviously you moderated. He said
0: it a few times. He he said said, it a few times. On another jog with Floyd,
4: you might pull out of the fight, you know. And and, he
0: said it on ESPN. He said (laughs) it during our face-off. He said that a lot. He said, "I heard jog with Floyd enough to to last me."
4: And Ryan Garcia said, "Well, that was actually a good one." So yeah,
0: so he gets it, you know. Yeah. Um,
4: But I do think Ryan Garcia, however they got to this point, deserves credit as well because Haney deserves more credit than anyone in boxing at this point, the way that he's going about his career, taking tough fights, going from promoter and platform to promoter and platform to get the fights that he wants for the most money possible, but taking tough, tough fights. He deserves a, he's
0: a model it, for young fighters. Yeah. And, and really
4: unprecedented that fighters are willing to operate this way, the way him and his dad have gone about it. But Ryan Garcia deserves some credit too here, Chris. I mean, within a little less than a calendar year, he'll have fought Gervonta Davis and Devin Haney. I mean, the kid deserves a lot of credit for that. You know, I mean, however people thought he went out against Javante Davis. Devin Haney keeps calling him a quitter, got caught with a body shot, seems to have, I'm not excusing anything for him, but he seems to come in, have come into the ring compromised with a rib injury. Javante Davis knew that, I think, and uh, and exploited it. So... Uh, he looked decent against Duarte. He, well, you know, he, the shoulder roll thing was sort of perplexing, and you know, we've had some theories as to why he was doing that. Uh, you know, but he got a win; he got a knockout win, and now he goes and takes another tough fight. So, within the course of 12 months, he will have fought three times against two guys who are on most people's pound for pound list. So, what more do you want from the kid than that? Now, if he happens to lose to Devin Haney, we, I'm sure he's you know he's the underdog going into the fight. If he loses these two fights. You know, that's a tough stretch, but he fought the fights that he always said that he wanted. He's not one of these guys. Whatever people think about Ryan Garcia, because he's a polarizing kid, lives his life on social media, tends to say some goofy things sometimes, but uh, but the kid delivered on what he said he wanted. He said he wanted to fight Javante Davis, and he fought him, however the fight went. He said he wanted to fight Devin Haney. He's now fighting him, so he deserves a lot of credit as well.
0: Yeah, and look, we don't need to go back in time, but that Javante Davis fight doesn't happen unless Ryan Garcia makes it happen. Ryan Garcia agreed to the catchweight. Ryan Garcia agreed to the financial terms. Ryan Garcia agreed to pretty much everything. Some of it, his promoter pushed back against pretty hard, but he agreed to pretty much everything to make that fight happen, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, I do think he has a chance... He
4: also made $30 million, so uh, let's not forget that. (laughs) Uh, That's true, too.
0: (laughs) Nice nice bankroll for that. And look... he's going to make a lot of money for this fight as well. Not $30 million, but it's a pay-per-view. If it pops, he's going to make a boatload of cash for this as well. And to me, Keith, even if he loses, he's like one or two fights away from being right back on top. Like, Ryan Garcia has a fan base. Ryan Garcia has a fan-friendly style. Ryan Garcia, you know, even if it goes the way some people are already predicting, which is a wide decision win for Devin Haney, I I don't think that that's the end of Ryan Garcia in fact I think he's still way ahead of most of these guys who are not taking these big fights I I I, I like I like his his mindset you know in in making these fights happen I, I think he's backed up against the eight ball uh, backed up in the corner rather against Devin Haney and I, I think he's gonna have a tough time with Devin Haney's skill set but even if it doesn't go his way, I think there's a pathway for him to rebuild and get back into the top of the boxing game.
4: Yeah. Because Chris, he's only 25 years old. Now, if he gets violently knocked out by Devin Haney, which is probably an unlikely outcome. uh,
0: Yeah. Oh, Bill Haney's promising first round knockout, Keith. I mean, I'm, I'm ready for it. He said he would, Ryan said he'd retire. Ryan
4: said he'd retire. If it's he would retire, if he got knocked out in the first round. So, um, but but if he you know let's say he loses a unanimous decision 116 112 across the board or something like that yeah his career's not over uh he will have lost two fights that he wanted but you know he's a very popular guy i mean and he has a fan base outside of the typical boxing fan which not many fighters do so he'll be able to cash in on that as long as his performance you know if, if he loses 120 to 108 and gets embarrassed well that That wouldn't be good for business, obviously, but um, short of that, I think, yeah, he could rebuild himself, and again, he won't be 26 years old, I think, until the summer, so this is a young guy, man, still in his physical prime, and and he can punch, you know, I I favor Devin Haney, I expect Devin Haney to win the fight, but it's not like Ryan Garcia doesn't have any chance whatsoever, he's got very fast hands he's not nearly as disciplined or as cerebral as Devin Haney and and not as proven because look who Haney's beaten and how he's beaten them. You know, the Lomachenko fight could have gone the other way, I think, but, uh, but he's accepted every challenge imaginable. And the way he beat Regis Progray, it was a fighter. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of respect for too, Chris, you know, Regis Progray is a dog, man. And he went in there and he didn't beat Regis Progray. He embarrassed him. And I didn't see that coming. Um, I, yeah, could I have seen him outboxing him and winning a decision? Sure, but not like that. I mean, he knocked Regis Progre. He knocked the puncher down. He took the fight to the puncher. He was the bigger, stronger guy in the ring, and that performance was was career changing uh, for, for him in many ways, reputation changing for him. And uh, he's he's one of the best young fighters in the sport. You know, arguably a top five pound for pound guy now. And kudos to him again. I can't say it enough, Chris. I mean, you know, the way him and his father have gone about this the last couple of years is nothing short of remarkable and really a blueprint that other fighters should follow.
0: Yeah, look, he's not waiting for that one big payday. He's not biding his time waiting for something big to pop. He is staying busy. He's taking tough challenges. He's not running away from challenges when he had the option to fight George Kambosos, but he had to go to Australia. He went twice. Uh, got a lot of money for that. Don't get me wrong. First title defense against Lomachenko. Steps up. Fights Regis Progre. If he beats Ryan Garcia on April 20th, it wouldn't surprise me to see him in with someone like Subrella Matias before the end of the year. Maybe they can do a fight with the winner of Rolly Romero versus Issa Cruz, depending on what happens on the PBC side of the street. He's going to keep fighting. He's probably going to keep winning. He's going to make a lot of money and he's going to build a hall of fame resume. He's he's on the path Keith. Like he's right there. Like with with all these early fights before he turns 26 years old, he is right there um on that path to to being a great uh, in the sport. And I give him a lot of credit for for doing that as well. He and his father have... you know, Bill is his trainer and he's an excellent trainer, but he won manager of the year from the boxing writers this year and I think he's, he deserved that because of the job he's done, you know, guiding uh his son's career. Uh Keith, good stuff, man. Always appreciate it, and uh, make sure we do this again real soon. Thanks for the time, Chris. Appreciate it, man. And when we come back, my conversation with Ray Ford.
3: This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe
1: where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
0: eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car, and as long as it keeps running, and so far, so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for
3: Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or
0: wherever you get your
3: podcasts.
0: All right, Raymond Ford is an undefeated 126-pound contender on Saturday. He will fight for his first world title, when he takes on Adobak Kolomatov, for the vacant 126-pound belt in Verona, New York. This is you can watch live on ESPN, and Ray, I was around your promoter Eddie Hearn last week. He's very excited for you for this fight, in part because you could become the first fighter that Matchroom has taken from its pro debut to a world title. I know that means something to them. Does that does that mean anything to you?
2: Yeah, uh, it definitely means a lot to me. Being being so that i um, one of the first ones that he signed over here in the US and. Uh, uh, I, I know a lot of guys been, you know, dropped or, you know, they took losses and, you know, they fell off. But, you know, being one of the ones that's still here still going and fighting for my first world title definitely means a lot to me.
0: You know, you've been campaigning at 126 for a number of years now. When, when Lee Wood beat Josh Warrington last year, did you think that y- you were never going to get a chance to fight for a belt of this weight class?
2: No, I didn't think it was going. I, I knew uh, what was going on behind closed doors. I knew my, my shot was coming. I just had to, you know, wait and uh wait until, you know, these other little fights was going going through. So yeah. So you knew back then that Lee was likely to vacate that belt and move up? Exactly. I knew I knew I knew everything. Like I said, like everything behind closed doors. I was being told for my team, you know, uh certain fighters were scared of certain fighters. I'm not gonna say who was scared of who, but certain fighters were scared, and uh, certain people didn't want to fight certain people. So, um, I knew my time was coming. Well, give me a little taste of who didn't want to fight who, Ray. Who who didn't want
0: any part of you going into that fight?
2: Nah, mm. it wasn't. A, I don't think it was really me. I think it was the the, the guy that I'm fighting. That uh, people were scared of. So, yeah, um, mm. it, it, it took somebody for like me with the skill set that I have and with the confidence that I have to. You know, and and especially, you know, fighting this long, waiting for my run title shot, I definitely wasn't going to pass up on it. And, uh, yeah, so I can't really speak on for anybody else. Though.
0: So you've seen Kolmatov fight. You've watched, uh, I'm sure, some of his fights. You know, 12 wins, 11 knockouts. He's got that glossy resume. What do you think of him?
2: I think he, he's a, a, a okay fighter. Um, he's solid. I think his resume isn't that good, but... um he's hyped up to be this, you know, this, uh, Sergei Kovalev, uh, monster. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's all I really think of him.
0: Do you think he has those qualities or do you think he's been untested at the level you're at?
2: Um, I, to be honest, I really don't even like really remember how Kovalev fight. I, I didn't <laughs> really pay too much attention to him, but, um, is yeah I, I don't think he's um I don't think he's really tested for forever mm.
0: so I, I've, I've been able to watch a lot of your fights most of your fights up to this point call many of your fights in your career and I, I want to go back to 2022 when you beat Edward Vasquez in Phoenix that was a more competitive I think than expected fight I think a lot of people thought Vasquez deserved more credit on the scorecards you responded to to that fight with three straight wins and they were all emphatic wins you had one knockout you had two wide decisions as your level of competition went up you got a lot better what did something change for you after that Vasquez fight given how close it was and 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 maybe how how the outcome played out
2: yeah uh, my mentality changed and um I changed a lot of things in my camp so uh, I started, you know, to go away from home, get away from distractions, and uh, do my camps away from home and really lock in and do everything I'm supposed to do in camp. So that that's what really changed.
0: Was it a wake-up call of sorts for you?
2: Yeah, it definitely was a wake-up call for me. Um, I think I was probably, you know, feeling like guys at that level, I probably didn't take them as serious as I should have been, um, being though, so like, I don't know, sometimes you can get a little, little big-headed when you're young and you're uh, being talked good about and everything like that. So I, I, I kind of wasn't like really taking my opponent serious at that time.
0: As in, how have you felt about the way it's gone since then? I mean, you go to New York, you get a dominant win, you get a knockout in your next fight. The next time you're fighting Magdaleno, the most accomplished guy that you faced at that point. You had These fights haven't really been close you know, over the last three fights. Like, how much different have you felt, and in what ways have you felt different?
2: Uh, physically and mentally, I've been feeling different. Like I said, uh, I leave from camp. I, I'm going into these fights with a clear head. Um, I'm in the best shape as as I can be in. Um, I'm putting the right food in my body. I'm, I'm making weight the proper way now. Um, it's a lot of different things that... It's a lot of small things that I'm doing that, that really count, that I really didn't take heed to. Like, you know, early on in my career, I ain't really, you know, take it serious. So now that I know and I know my my body needs to be treated properly, uh, everything that I'm doing now is just, uh, I'm, I'm, I can say I'm a, a real professional athlete now.
0: You know, one of your training partners is Shakur Stevenson. We've seen the videos on your YouTube, you know, leading up to this fight of, of you and Shakur down there. Tell me about that relationship. How did that relationship start?
2: Shakur, that's my brother. That's, that's, that's. Really, like, my big brother, for real. Um, since the amateurs, um, I've been knowing Shakur. He's been giving me pointers and things like that since I was on, the, like, the USA team. He would come to the gym and watch me spar and stuff like that, and then he he'll, he'll send me a text after I was spar, like, bro, uh, I think you should start doing this, start working on this. Uh, you you great at this, start using this more, things like that. And um, i just been locked in with him ever since, and um, I've been uh, doing kints with... His cousin Ray Stevenson, uh, that's like my—he he pretty much like a jack of all trades. He do everything in camp, um, and uh, you know Shakur is right there uh, beside him. You know, uh, watching me spar and uh, still giving me punters and things like that. I can call Shakur and ask him anything. It, he'll always be there for me. So that's like my big brother. How much sparring have
0: you gotten in with him personally? I can imagine if you did, those have got to be pretty high-level sparring matches.
2: Yeah, for sure. Uh, we definitely we got some, we got some good rounds in this camp. Um I also got rounds in with, with Zay Z- Quinn Moses. Um that's his other little cousin. Uh he's real sharp and helping me out this whole camp. Um but over the years of me and Shakur Sparring, I couldn't even tell you how many rounds it, it's been a lot. <laughs> What's been his
0: biggest piece of advice for you in facing someone that's a puncher like your opponent?
2: Shakur told me to step on. <laughs> Is that a good idea? That's a great idea. There so, you go? I think this is a, a three division world champion, uh, silver uh, silver medalist in the Olympics, um, who, who has a real, a very high IQ. So um, anything that he say is definitely good advice. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, uh, when I was calling Richardson Hitchens' fight against Jose Zepeda about three or four months ago down in Orlando, I noticed one of the Hitchens' friends was on the phone. On the ring apron, and he was definitely talking to Shakur Stevenson. So, is Shakur Stevenson going to be advising you from the phone during this fight?
2: No, nah, I think Shakur is going to be at my
0: <laughs> so, so, you'll be able to hear him from, from ringside if he needs to offer any advice up.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, one of the last things I want to ask you is you know, I, I've known how tough it's been for you to make 126 over the years you're you're a young guy you're a growing guy you're destined for 130 and above sooner rather than later do you look at this fight as a one-off you know win the title and move up or you know are you open to whatever comes in the future
2: it, it could be um it depends on, the, on on the opportunities that I get after this fight whether if I get a, a high pay fight or you know a unification or both you understand so um it really depends, uh, but if it's none of those options are on the table, I'm definitely moving up.
0: How has making the weight this time around been for you?
2: I feel like I get asked this question every time I fight. Um, but <laughs> making weight is fun. Like I always say, it's, it's always fun making weight.
0: Hey, in fairness, I I run into your guys. You know in fight weeks all the time and they're always like man tough to make 126 i see brian peters tough to make 126 might move up sooner so it, it's coming i know it's hard you're a, i mean you're a big guy and you're a young guy you're gonna eventually move up and wait
2: yeah for sure for sure
0: <laughs> all right good luck on saturday man going for your first world title it's a very cool experience and uh you know hope for the best for you man thanks for your time Thank you. Appreciate you. Great to talk to you soon. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Keith Ideck and Ray Ford for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week. Thank you so much.
1: I go sleep. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets.
3: Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16,
0: 2024. See participating retailer for details.
2: There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the
1: Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Are you looking to build this year? If so, there is no better time than right now to start planning and to get your spot on the construction schedule If you need a garage, a stall barn, a storage for vehicles, RV, boat, collectibles, or even a a shop for your farm, hobbies, or car restoration projects, visit MortonBuildings.com and start your construction process. With superior materials, craftsmanship, best-in-class warranty, Morton Buildings are made to last for generations. At Morton, the difference is in the details. From their cutting-edge innovations to their craftsmen in the field, they are dedicated to surpassing expectations. Their legacy of excellence spans more than 120 years, and Morton Buildings is 100% employee-owned with more than a quarter million satisfied customers. That means they're the industry leader you can trust. When you choose Morton, you'll experience quality at every step of the building process, starting before the walls even go up. Visit mortonbuildings.com to get started today.